And welcome to the HBM podcast. I am the very model of a scientist Solarian, and I'm joined by Frank. Frank, how are you doing? Hello, Leon. I am a machine intelligence who just wants to be left alone. That's less specific than you would think, <laughs> but uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. Are you building consensus by any chance? I am. I am trying to okay. build a consensus. That's, that makes a lot more sense. Must be a great time behind the veil. <laughs> and today we're talking about a very special franchise, I guess we can say. Although we are just talking about three out of four games. <laughs> we we, we uh, do not speak of the fourth one. Ah, there's not a lot to say about the fourth one. So yep. <laughs> we can just we can just talk about the one of the one of gaming's most well known trilogies, I would go as far as to say. I agree. And what a trilogy it is. Uh oh boy. <laughs> it's a very clear trilogy. Very clear trajectory for a trilogy, I think. I yeah. have problems thinking about a more clearly projected trilogy in all of gaming, I think. <laughs> but uh maybe God of War. Maybe God of War would come close to Greek one, I mean. Mm-hmm. But um There are a lot of know. games in between one, two and two and three, which I think is the yeah. issue there though. You know what? Fair enough. That's a good point. <laughs> and we are talking about as the title <laughs> already Da-da-da-da. yelled at you. We're talking about uh Halo. <laughs> <laughs> have you played any Halo games, Frank? No, because I've never had a Microsoft oh. platform. Other than well, a PC. you want to talk about Mass Effect instead, then? That sounds like a better idea. Yes. Okay. Well, let's talk about Mass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't see it coming. <laughs> okay. Well, you're welcome. Yeah. So Mass Effect. Uh, just a brief, uh, humble suggestion to everyone listening. We humbly recommend that you would go listen to episode two and three of HBM, of Hebrew Media. Mm-hmm. Mainly because we talk about Bioware uh, in those two episodes. We talk about Bioware for Subsidian for like three hours in total, more probably. <laughs> Something like, like that. Two, three and a half, I think. Give or take. <laughs> give or take. And, yeah, give or take. And besides them being great episodes, even though I didn't have great mic quality back then, I do don't, still Don't blame those. yourself. Yeah, it's, it's whatever. It's, yeah, but I, I do regard those episodes very fondly. Um, and yeah, it's uh, we are probably going to continue some conversations we have had in those two episodes. Um, yes, mainly what we think about Bioware. So we're not going to talk about, we're not going to introduce the Bioware studio in any significant way, uh, mainly because then we would have to do a lot of work every single episode we want to do about a Bioware game. Yeah. And the advantage of a continuous podcast is that you get to build conversation. I think. Hurrah! You get to build language. Yes. Uh, so you don't have to. I think you can follow this this episode decently without. But I would humbly recommend listening to those two episodes first. Yeah. At the very least, the first one because that one is about Knights of the Old Republic one, which is the first Bioware game we ever mm-hmm. talked about on this uh, podcast, and the second episode we ever did. So yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Mass Effect. Ooh, yeah, Mass Effect. Space. Yeah. Space. Space. Uh. I would just add to what you mentioned, Leon, is that like this conversation is very much going to be on its own. But if you wonder, as a listener, it's like, oh, but why didn't they talk about this or that in regards to like, oh, larger Bioware stuff or things that Bioware does repeatedly is probably because we've mentioned it on the other episode and we're continuing that. So it's not going to be our main focus. And we're largely going to touch a bit on those, um, the 
the colored bit in the Venn diagram and the specifics that make uh, Mass Effect. So, space! Space, yes. And what a space it is. It is the Milky Way. It is the Milky Way. And turns out we're not alone in the Milky Way. So, where would we like to begin? Would you like to explain the setting? Or would you like to get into something else first? Or I, I'll go for the setting first. Okay. And, and then I'll, I'll probably give a very brief story synthesis. Because okay. the fact that it is a extremely well-defined trilogy makes it possible for us to do three games in one episode. It's uh, really funny because in uh, the second episode on HBM, we jokingly <laughs> said, we're going to do two games in uh, in one. And next episode, we're going to do three games in one. And then I was like joking that we would never do that. But here we are. So And we failed because yeah. we couldn't do uh, two games in one we episode. Failed. Yeah, but once again, uh, as, as we both have said, it's a way better defined series of games and really well-defined trilogy, I think. Yeah. In comparison to Coder 1 and 2, which as we as we talk about oh for three hours and a half, uh, it's it's fundamentally different games. That's like, we go on and on about that, uh, which I think is deserved, but okay. And uh, it's going to happen again when we talk about Dragon Age, because uh, no, no way we're going to do all games in one. Impossible. Oh yeah, but the to contrast uh, the other big Bioware franchise, the two big fi- Bioware franchises that, uh, well, the Bioware has, that Bioware has produced, is indeed Dragon Age, the fantasy RPG, mm-hmm. and Mass Effect, the uh, sci-fi quote RPG quote. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we will get into that. Yeah, we will. But, yeah, in good faith. But other than that, yeah, so those are the two big franchises that they have, and... I made no secret to Frank that I like Dragon Age a bit more, but yeah. I do. Uh, I used to love Mass Effect, and I quite like it still as a fun sci-fi adventure. It is, and it holds yeah. up. Oh yeah, no, I will say a based on the quality of writing, voice acting, the Bioware games have a bit of longevity that's not always shared by its contemporaries. Mm-hmm. It's. Even though the gameplay is usually something that's like, ah, but then what yeah. game is not guilty of that, you know? Of course. Like there's, there's a fun, you need a fundamentally different game if you don't want your game to age poorly in that regard. But that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good thing. That means that we got, we, we, we evolved, we got better and all that jazz. So yeah, uh, uh, sorry, go on with your little uh, introduction. <laughs> Um, I, I'm just going to mention that because you opened that window and I'm going to take advantage of that tangent. Woe be the days when people thought that the best way to control a, a character in a video game was like a fucking tank. How, how I, I do not grieve for those days that have passed. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. So what is the Mass Effect galaxy? Effectively, it is this futuristic sci-fi where... Humanity is not alone and has found its place amongst the larger players in the galaxy, which form this sort of galactic union. It has a name, but they really don't say it enough. So, like the council? Well, that's the council, but what is the name of the thing? Um, oh. There is a name, which is different from the human one. And I never got to. Uh, to remind me, uh, I will note to the listener that I have never played. I had, I had, never played any of the Mass Effect games, 
as of the end of last year, when Mass Effect Legendary entered PlayStation Plus, I was able to play them all uh, for the first time. And it was a great experience. Uh, so uh, a very fresh take. I have no nostalgia. <laughs> um, so that's that's where I'm coming from. And in, in this galaxy, we we've, humanity has found itself in, in pairs or in a, an inferior position as to its major players and its major forces and has found a place or places or a, a reality that has had its conflicts, had its history, and, well, humanity's entrance into that was tumultuous via war, which it somehow wasn't utterly crushed, but we will not talk about that inconsistency. Yeah. Effectively, we have a couple of major players. Uh, humanity as its uh, growing enterprise or growing force in the galaxy and wants to join this um, uh, kind of UN Security Council thing. Um which is formed by three other species, and they they exert power in the galaxy, mostly as a, an organized force, so to speak, with the military and so on, which yeah. are the Asari, which have the... The, psychic, the blue. The blue. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Just kidding. Please continue. <laughs> they have the psychic powers, They the biotics, so they call them. They are interesting, and uh, I want to eventually dive into how I think they play a an equivalent role to fantasy elves. Uh, yeah, long in... lived. They have, they have the uh, millennium time span, uh, millennium yeah. lifespan. Yeah. And they are the first uh, space flight uh, species, I believe. Yes. Out of the three. And in their role as like this kind of mentorship and not in non involvement a lot of the time. So it's, I think there's something to be thought about there. Maybe eventually I'll, I'll even write a bit about it. Uh, beyond the confines of this episode. Well, she, well, well, she, we'll see. Um, Both, because they're all she's. Quite, that was fitting. Uh, <laughs> didn't expect that. Uh, then we, <laughs> Then we have the Turians, which are a military dictatorship. Bird Romans. Oh, yes, they, they are the Bird Romans. Uh, military dictatorship, that's... Uh, well, uh, the Romans had a Senate, or mostly... And even when it was dissolved, it wasn't. It was the emperor. This one is like no. It's very. Hmm. Well, there's depends clear... on which time we peer into Roman history. But go on. <laughs> yeah. No. You. You. You make a point. But. I think they're worse. I think. I think somehow <laughs> the Turians are worse than Rome, which is a statement. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're. They're not great. Um, and. Uh, yeah, well, we'll get to, to the cop, which follows you around. Um, they are essentially the military arm of Council Space. Yes. They are said to have the most advanced military, because guess what? That's literally all they do. Uh, they have the, they're these honor code Roman, uh, like, lizard birds crossover species. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they have a military hierarchy. And that's they literally call it the hierarchy as well. That's their government's name system. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, and so the Asari have like this <laughs> psychological diplomatic powerhouse, and the Turians yeah. are the military powerhouse. Uh, so you can see how they complement each other. And then we have the third one. Yeah, the third one, which I don't think we get that much detail into how exactly their government works. Um, but we have the Salarians, which, um, how did you define them, my friend? <laughs> the frog scientists. 
it, or did it, I say yes. something? Did I say something else? I think or that was I... it. The frog scientists. Um, yeah, they are. Um, they are the scientists and the spies. Generally, they they have yes. infiltration course. Yeah. Yes. And that's uh, yeah. So the sci- scientific, diplomatic, and the military. So that you can see how they essentially make a good ruling council in like the strongest body in the Milky Way. Yeah, exactly. And they they end up having this. Well, I'll get I'll get into this into the technological aspect in a second because that's very relevant. Um, so these are the the major players. We we then have humans as this fourth one coming in, uh, trying to get a, a position of power, trying to get into the council. And then we have three other species uh, that I'll note two, then three, but they are they're not as relevant, but they're quite significant in the role they end up they generally end up playing in the galaxy. We have the Krogans, who were a uh, belligerent fighting race. Uh, Lizard tanks. Yes, basically, <laughs> and uh, because they were used as weapons in a particular war against like an insectoid thing, the Rachni. Um and they, they they got very good. Um they the rest of the galaxy was a little afraid. And you know, they did what what any other, you know, sensible group of races did, you know, when they come together, they come to a decision, let's commit genocide. Um Yeah, it's mass um it's multi generation mass forced sterilization. Yes. Chemical castration, or whatever the right term is, I wouldn't know. Yeah, uh, bad. It's bad. So there we go. I'm yeah, going to no, put I, it in I, the bad box. I was definitely being sarcastic there, just to be clear. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I, 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 sorry. <laughs> I know. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and that's what's called that. That process. That thing is called the genophage, uh, which uh, made yes. them all yeah pretty bad. Um, then we have the Quarians. Who do you want to describe the Quarians, my friend? I rather <laughs> okay, um, hmm. okay. Well, there's later enough time in the episode for me to be flippant. Of course. Um, so the Koreans are a uh, flotilla of their species, the ex- exodists. What's whatever the verb of exodus is, mm-hmm. uh, exodized <laughs> from their uh, homeworld because they uh, created another species that we're going to talk about after called the Geth. Yes, and that's a. Uh, AI species, sort of kind of mechanical intelligence, mm-hmm. and uh, well, they <laughs> surprise, surprise, they became conscious, sort of kind of, and rebelled against their creators, and which then kicked them off or rendered their homeworld uh, unlivable, and they, for some reason, then uh, continued to live in their uh, fact spacesuits, so to speak, yeah. in their little ecosystems, and uh, they're very fragile but very good in tech. Yes. Uh, they are well known for repairing stuff and like uh, they, have a, they have a very interesting culture I won't get into it too much but they are essentially uh, they have bird legs like the Jurians that's fun mm-hmm. um, like they bend in the opposite knee structure to what humans have so they can probably run very well that's <laughs> but that's just, that aside and they once again they are all over the galaxy because they live in a flotilla and they have to bring back stuff to their flotilla to, for it to be a viable living system, mm-hmm. even though it's a bunch of large ships, essentially. Yeah. And yeah, they are the closest thing to a minority uh, we have in this galaxy, which is <laughs> going to be important later on, I think. Maybe. Who knows? I don't know if I want to talk about that, but we'll yeah, see. Yeah, we don't need to. Then the Geth? 
Then the Geth. Uh, did I miss something from the Koreans? Uh, no, I think that's generally it. Um, then the Geth. The Geth are very interesting. They are the aforementioned machine intelligence who who is effectively become aware, and it's it's such interest, so interesting. I, I really appreciate um, because, as I mentioned, that I am building consensus. The Geth are separate beings. Uh, they're not a single unified entity living in a variety of bodies. No, they're not a unity like that. But they are a variety of different programmings. I, I don't. Yes, connected to the same hub. Exactly, and yes. and they build consensus because uh, they <laughs> yeah. do everything at the speed of light. So y- eventually, consensus will be built. Uh, yeah, they they have they have, they are very democratic. Oh yeah. In a way, I suppose, except for one very particular mission, but we will get into that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. So they are, they they are very interesting. I think they are very well executed AI sentient race. Yes, that then take a interesting place up in the galaxy, whereas the sci-fi trope is that uh, rogue AI must be exterminated and becomes immediately a galaxy-wide tr- threat. But yeah. the Geth form well, they form a culture, if you will. Yeah, not a culture as not a culture as directly in, uh, recognizable for us. The cultures of the other uh, species are much much more recognizable cultures mm-hmm. to us. But they form a society. They live in a society. No, they um, do. They, they do live in a society, and yeah, I think that's I think that's a very interesting uh, choice to make. Mainly because, well, as we. Mm, uh, sometimes, uh, more often than I would like, within sci-fi, uh, rogue AI has some unfortunate subtext. Let's say, let's call it subtext, shall we? <laughs> or do you feel different? Oh no, no, I think you're right. Um, and on the other hand, um, it's it's interesting, and it's a conversation I've had with a couple of friends as well. I'll, I'll just go on this tangent a little bit because I think it's relevant. Because um, especially because we have the Geth, and then we have the Reapers. But which which we'll get into. But the guests are not trying to destroy anyone. They literally want to be. They want to be left alone. Um, yeah. Not necessarily left alone, even, but they want to exist, have the right to exist. Um, so they will yeah, defend they themselves. The Sorry. They stay out of the way as well. They occupy a question corner of the Milky Way. And like you said, rarely travel beyond the veil. I believe it's called. Yeah, the Perseus veil. Because, yeah, because it's funny because the veil is also a concept in Dragon Age, but it's not here or there. Oh yeah. Um, it's, but yeah, they generally stay in that corner. And guess what? If you poke that corner, then they're going to respond to that. And I don't. Know, I like them. If, if that wasn't clear yet, uh, <laughs> I like the guess. It's uh, yeah. So anyway. Yeah, Sorry, I like that's them just a little addition. No, no. Uh, and the point I was gonna make is that like. So much of other sci-fi or other stuff has like, oh no, but uh, artificial intelligence or or machines or anything like that. It's like, oh, it's necessarily gonna turn out evil. It's gonna, if you let it do its thing, it's gonna just destroy and annihilate humanity. That kind of thing. And um, yeah, we shouldn't give the people who do all the labor rights. That's stupid. <laughs> they will it, just kill everyone and be irrational because they're not very smart. They should just work for us. That's where, that's where they belong. <laughs> And uh, if if we really want to be serious about it, we don't have a fucking clue what they do. We really don't. It's effectively beyond Children. our scope of possibility, and that's fine. 
but uh, to think of any like definitive answers, like, oh, this is most likely what it'll do. We don't have a Scooby. <laughs> we really can't imagine uh, because it's it's beyond us. So I don't know. Well, there, there are a variety of possibilities. They could just try to be left alone or they can do, as I have mentioned before in my Neuromancer episode, they can simply try to find other AIs in space and talk to aliens because uh, that's... Great, great episode, by the way. Thank you. Uh, you came up with that title. Yes. <laughs> um, it's a great title. And the, the whole point of that is that like, oh, the AI, they think it's evil or whatever. And yeah, it'll kill people to defend itself. But uh, it doesn't want to annihilate anyone. It, it really wants to do its thing and be able to do its thing. And, you know, I, I can't but respect that. So, yeah, I think there's a lot that can be thought about. And the F are an interesting possibility, an interesting counterpoint. And I um I gotta give give credit where credit is due. Uh the geth we first end up talking to, Legion. Uh it it is um Legion Le- Legion has effectively like a how do I phrase it? Like um it's like a lighthouse or a light bulb kinda well spotlight <laughs> uh head or Their face. Ocular lens. Yes. And yet it's so expressive. Um which yeah, uh, little eyebrows exactly and like there's no face there's basically like glowing eye and weird eyebrows and it works yeah. so yeah it's a testament to our capability as human beings to uh anthropomorphize anything or the guests do that on purpose because they understand our abilities but that's quite possibly thing. um, um. <laughs> that, that was my guests engine i like the guests a lot as well they're very fun they're great um, so th- it's these... too bad. Sorry, sorry. No, you. No, no. I think. Uh, never mind. You go first. So, getting back to like the galaxy, there, there are a yeah. few other species which we can mention here and there. As uh... well, they're not important, so we might mention them. And for those who have played the game, probably will recognize them. And yeah, uh... I'll I'll take the opportunity to do this now because I don't think I'll ever find a, another point to do this. Um, there's another species which um, quite possibly relates to a very terrible stereotyping um, which are the volas but uh, the volas are a a species that has effectively kind of been shafted by the galactic council uh, because they from what we're told they created the entire monetary system of credits on which the galaxy in general runs and yet they're not given a seat on the council and are mostly ignored so you know I I vote for a vola seat on the council That's, that's my stance yeah yeah, but like you said, they behave, the photos that we encounter, most of them behave in a quite unfortunate way, I would say. Yeah. Which is something we will get into, I think, um, also mainly because, well, once again, the continuation of the uh, continuation of the conversation on Bioware, I think that would fit in that segment. Yes. Uh, the photos indeed behave. Uh, the idea in general, I would say that just one group of people make essentially intergalactic banking is a choice that you can make. Um, mm-hmm. I would personally not make the choice. Yeah, I don't know why you would make the choice, <laughs> but it's a choice. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. To give you like an idea, the Volus uh, accuses the uh, like there's a, there's a side mission about like the Volus accusing a Quarian, the the homeless people, 
the homeless people that travel are nomads and steal a lot, apparently, which is also great. Uh, you have the photos mm-hmm. that accuses the quarian of stealing their credit chips, and it, it turns out not to be the case. Of course. And because <laughs> imagine. So we have two very interesting subtextual. Uh, once again, I don't know how to say this, but uh, we have these two very interesting. Yeah, um, prom, uh, prone to stereotype analysis, uh, species uh, fight, uh, tossing stereotypes at each other, which is a bit unfortunate, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, but yeah, the Folus is not the only uh, unfortunate. How do we say this? Unfortunate uh, is minority insensitive minority subtext yeah. background uh, species. Because so it goes once again to Koreans as well. Uh, and like, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Go on. Yeah, no, no. Um, For sure. Like, it's uh, it's just story what I said. It's really like, yeah, you know, you, we, we had you do this for us, but uh, who cares? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, just, sorry, real quick. A, mm-hmm. a general spoiler warning, I guess, mm-hmm. for the Mass Effect franchise. Go play it. Go play, Go play it. it. Um, if you like sci-fi, go play it. Um, that's that's going to be my my too long didn't read of this episode, I guess. And uh, yeah, so spoiler alert. And yeah, we're going to talk about probably some uh, historical trope, uh, offensive stereotype stuff yeah. um, because of the not so at times great and at times also not so great background character work for from Bioware. By yeah. background species, world building, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, general disclaimer for that. Uh, if you're sensitive or like, just don't feel like it right now. Return to this episode another time, or whatever. I don't. Yeah. Know. I won't blame you. Yeah, but, yeah no, definitely. I'm, yeah, that's stuff that might arise in this. No, of course. Because yeah, it, it uh, really does that. Unfortunately, really, really does that. So how? Where does we have we have to describe the universe? Now let's start where we start. Yeah. If you want. So in order to like keep it a unified discussion, I am going to go uh, in a slightly roundabout way, but I will I will go on to uh, what seems like a tangent, a main point, and then I'll, I'll circle back to tell you effectively what, what the main story of all these games is. Um, I and have with you. Thank you. And I'll go via a, an interesting path. So... Effectively, the large majority of technological galactic developments follow the technologies or the tools left behind by a species known as the Protheans. Forerunner stereotype. Or a trope, I would say. Just like yes. forerunner civilization. We have been here over it. Uh, we have talked about it. <laughs> we have talked about it uh, on Coder 1, uh, how the forerunner... Uh, leaving behind clues for the next civilization. Yeah, good old Procosos. Because Neverwinter Nights 1 and Kodor 1 and then now Mass Effect 1 all do it. So, yeah. Sorry, continue. Yeah, it's uh, it's good old Precursor uh, <laughs> trope. And they, they set up the what ends up being like the space station of and seat of the Galactic Council, the Citadel, which is like a weird kind of shell thing. Which uh, open has like arms that open up like a uh, long arms or like long fingers, and then it can close off and like seal itself. A um, giant space station that is just there, empty. Yeah. By the way, 
well, empty, say, for a, a weird species, which are like the caretakers, which do not communicate and don't do much, and they just run the station and do, like, the busy work. And no, don't don't touch them. Don't mess with them. They're, they're running the thing. Let's leave it be. Um, yeah. And... That's not at all concerning. No, that's... Let's make the seat of our government. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's, that's not going to be an issue at all, is it? And... Yeah. And the the other major technological bit is what names the game the uh, the beacons which are which allow for the mass effect, uh, which is what allow the jump gates which allow the travel between uh, different systems or, or larger lengths of space, which effectively work as slingshots. Yeah, I like that system. By the way, we need like a it's an it's a nice uh, way to deal with the. FTL problem. Yeah. I think this is a cool one. Uh, ships are very fast. It's just in order to get to different systems in reasonable time, you kind of need to, yourself to be catapulted uh, by a mass energy drive. Yes. Hence the name of the franchise, Mass Effect. Whee! As they say in, a, in text at the very start of the first game. Um... As it gives us, it's bring, it brings us up to speed. It's like, okay, this is the galaxy. Humanity made discoveries, etc. The Protheans, mass. This is what they called the Mass Effect, and then the game begins, um, which is always funny. It's a bit silly. It's it's cheating, but it works. It's sci-fi, though. It yeah. is sci-fi, especially. So you need to do a bit of that, and it's it's an easy way to do it, and and it works. Can't can't say it doesn't. So but... who's the person? From whose eyes do we see the universe? So, we are Commander Shepard. Shepard can be Jane Shepard uh, or John Shepard? John. Well, you can change your first name, but you can be a guy. You, people just call you Shepard. Yes, so which really you can helps. Pick whatever, yeah, you can pick whatever name. But canonically, it's Jane or John. <laughs> yeah. Which, boo. Meh. I mean, I don't think I ended up changing the name because I knew they were never going to call me Jane. So I was like, eh, I'll leave it Shepard. Shepard. Another, uh, I believe, another, I'm not a Christian, so I, you can tell me if I'm wrong. But not yet another sci-fi protagonist, which is named after an apostle, I suppose. <laughs> John is an apostle, right? Or... Uh, yes. Okay, yeah. I'm referring to Luke Skywalker or Paul Atreides. Yeah, no, that's that's right. That's it, uh... The, the the apostles are there. Uh, it, 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 it would have been even more dramatic if she was Mary Shepherd. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a bit on the nose, right? Though. So, yeah. Well, so just just a fun little sci-fi trope yet again. <laughs> of uh, course. Yeah. Sorry, and we are Shepherd. Uh, we're a human. We we are a what? We we we're a soldier. We're in the military. That's it's a big part of this game is the militarism. And we're in the military. Yeah. We are part of the special forces, which are the N7. That's what it means. And of the human alliance. Exactly. Yes. Because you see, there's the human alliance, which they do say a lot, and the general galactic one, but they don't really know, mention the name of that. That's why I got confused. I don't think there is a name for it. There might not be. You have council, you have council forces, and you have like... Well, anyway. You have council space, then you have the, uh, alliance space, which is human alliance, yeah. systems alliance. I don't know what it's called. Um, 
and then you have like species named ba- uh, spaces like gas space, bound the Perseus fill, yeah, and like Krogan space and so forth and so on. That makes sense, actually. So Shepard, huh? Shepard. Shepard. And Shepard can be either you know, great person, helpful, positive, general, great, great human being. Or there can be an absolute asshole who lets a lot of people die. Um, Leon, do you want to tell us how you phrased it? Uh, well, two things. Uh, this is, if you have listened to two and three of uh, HBM, <laughs> this is a simple uh, reinsert of the moral binary system. Yes. That we have so in depth discussed in uh, Discussed and Discussed, uh, <laughs> both <laughs> words, I suppose, um, in, in the previous episodes. So we're not going to do that again. And I, I, so you have the, you don't have light because Force is no longer a thing. It's because no longer Star Wars. No. Uh, but isn't it though? But uh, so there's no Force. <laughs> there's no overarching uh, mystical power. But there is still essentially light side versus dark side. Yeah. Only the philosophical, well, <laughs> it has become even less philosophically interesting <laughs> by, by having the Paragon. Uh, choices and these are the good guys obviously because you're a paragon of virtue what virtues go fuck yourself we don't want to get political <laughs> and uh, well not us but the game and just to be clear hmm. and in case you in case you haven't listened to any other episode so far um, <laughs> or or this one really but um then there's the paragon one and it's contrasted to the renegade one renegade well like the name already tells you it's, it's bad uh it's it's bad boy bad guy or Bad, uh, how do you say, loose cannon. You're loose cannon, Shepard. Yeah. And yeah, you're you're dangerous. You're not good, but you're dangerous. You're so okay. Never mind. Moving on. Sorry, I can go <laughs> on about this for way too long. But we will. And and so uh, the way I like uh, very redundantly talked uh, called it is, you either go for a boring or murder hobo, and <laughs> like blue is boring, blue is paragon. Which is the same color Light Side gets in Coder 1 and 2. And Red is Renegade and Murder Hobo. Uh, <laughs> it's the same color as uh, Evil uh, Dark Side gets in Coder 1 and 2. Yeah. So we see a very clear evolution of their previous work in Coder 1, Bioware, that is Bioware Corp, mm-hmm. as they were called back then. And we can clearly see the evolution of their design philosophies, I suppose we can call it. Yeah. Or the sensibilities, I don't know, the right words. Whatever word you think I should have used, dear mm-hmm. listener. Um, so yeah, uh, th- that's essentially the choices you're going to make. You are generally going to uh, stick to one side, though, because if you fill up your Paragon, uh, paragon meter, which is a thing, if you make good goody-two-shoes uh, <laughs> choices, try to say that ten times in a row, um, then you get uh, more... It, dialogue options you become more persuasive you you essentially you know you're yeah yeah you, you become, become you become more persuasive good yes and you can also become more persuasive bad if you pick uh <laughs> renegade options so it's essentially you if you want to play the game functionally you have to commit to either goody two shoes uh or murder hobo from the beginning yeah no generally this is not that big of a sacrifice because it's it markets itself as a role playing game, so you already kind of know what kind of person you want to be, mm-hmm. maybe sort of kind of, yeah. or at least very early on. And uh, turns out, like I said in the previous two episodes, most people like the Paragon more because you're just an asshole, 
if you're a renegade. Yeah. You're just, you're so unpleasant. It's so awkward. People try to connect with you and you're just like, don't care. You are an idiot. I'm Shepard. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's it's so bad. Um, You get to like push one sexist out of a window as a renegade. And that's the only good thing about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll stop there, I think. Uh, yeah. So the morality system is back. Woohoo! Yay! Everyone's <laughs> favorite. More of that. More of the morality system and you being an absolute monster. Because if you really, if you really want to go the full, absolute renegade one, yeah, I, uh, it, um, it, it's effectively kind of self-defeating of the point of generally the third game. But uh, we'll we'll get to that. Um, well, yeah. If you're a 15 year old boy that wants to be called dangerous, yeah, then that that's that's what the renegade option is for. It literally has no other purpose. No, because you're basically ruining it for everyone, and uh, doesn't make the game work as well. I recommend uh, after you you listen to us, and if you've not played or if you've already played and don't mind even more spoilers, I would check out many true nerds free series of videos. Can you beat Mass Effect with no friends? Uh, which would ideally be the ultimate renegade one. And the game literally starts to break. Uh, so um, yeah, there, there's an argument against the renegade uh, by the game itself, structurally. So, yeah. Um, sorry? Shepard, huh? No, Shepard. Um, so we're Shepard, we're this military hero, and we're about to become an even greater military hero. So... As I was saying, we have this entire technology that are built by it was built by the Protheans, and which pretty much the entire galaxy now uses. Now, now, um, what is happening in the first game is you're fighting a traitor to the Council of you know the the ultimate secret police of the Council, which are the Spectres, and so you become one to hunt a traitor. Spectre. Yeah, <laughs> they are scary. Um, not scary as in oh they are so competent or whatever, but they are scary as in they essentially are a what a, uh, I I don't know how to call it but uh, well a corrupt states wet dream having a class of hyper competent uh, officers I guess and that are above regulation yeah uh, they they cannot be persecuted like normal people they cannot really. Yeah, they don't care about red tape, so to speak. Uh, they don't have to adhere to bureaucratic or democratic, for that matter, protocol. Yeah. They, I, I, the worst thing is, I don't think there's a, a real like historical analogy because they are the, the most off the rails you could possibly be because uh, they are effectively not accountable. Yeah, well, I'm thinking well, there, there has been like examples, but... Yeah, not within a necessary direct sci-fi context, or well, uh, I, I, what, what I'm thinking like, of. The, even in real case scenarios, they're generally internally accountable. Um, but in this case, oh, because they have so much power at their hands, it's like, yeah, no, you can do whatever you want. Just get well, the job we say of, done. There are a couple of like uh, European rulers that I can think of, like mm. uh, Ivan the Terrible, Ivan the Fourth, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they he had like a, a squad of like uh, black clothed uh, people that essentially just did everything he wanted to do, and they could just like burn down a small village and school. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's <laughs> I do think that uh, by that standard, the Spectres, which is what they're called, I don't <laughs> know if you have said it before already, but uh, yeah, the Spectres, which is that class of operative, 
uh, that report directly to the council. Uh, they don't, they can't do that necessarily, but they can do a lot of uh, weird, <laughs> improper, bad, bad stuff, as we discover. But yeah, so Saren is one of those. Yeah, Saren was a specter. He betrayed the, the council, as you end up quickly proving, and thus you are made the first human specter to hunt him down. Which a lot of people see as the step a species must take before they enter the council. Yeah. And humanity is vying for a seat on the council. Even though they are so relatively new to space. But that's, you know, that's how the characterization of humanity, which is always interesting, Mm -hmm. is going to take form in Mass Effect. We are a, apparently we are a very ambitious, individualistic, greedy people. Which is a very Western... Hmm. A somewhat conscious, but not fully. Yeah. Um, not theory filtered, I would say, but like quite <laughs> somewhat conscious, intuitive idea of uh, rumbling idea of humanity. Like, oh, we are all we are really we're just greedy monkeys, whatever. And I don't know. Like a lot of people say that, and I hate that. Oh, um, it's the worst. So much. But at least it's not like oh, we are the best. I don't know. It's like at least. They, they seem like the outlining of certain problems in society, but refuse to like filter it through any kind of proper ideological theory. Of course. And yeah, or at least not the ideological theories that I would like. Um, so yeah, they, yeah, it's, it's a bit half-baked, uh, soft-boiled egg of <laughs> a criticism of humanity. Uh, not a fan of that necessarily, but it will do for the setting. Yeah, I think I can so. see... Uh, <laughs> Western society, for that matter, uh, mainly like Europe and uh, Central and West Europe and the United States and Canada and so forth, uh, and suppose Australia as well, I guess, short of shrug. Um, we, I can definitely see that characteristic of humanity um, pushing for a seat on the council, no matter if we are, we are new, it doesn't matter. We should, we should do it. We should <laughs> be on there, because, because why not? Yeah, did pretty we, much. Did we do what the Folas did and, and like design a whole financial system no we just kind of showed up shrug yeah they're already trying to meet humanity halfway i suppose with making a human specter yeah so yeah that's that's an interesting setting sorry i just no, want to no, talk about how humans are portrayed in <laughs> fantasy which is interesting it is and uh well here, here's where things start to get interesting because generally you're fighting the geth which are the generally reviled species of the the machines, the AIs, which uh, you know were against the Quarians and stuff, and they're they're the the um the grunts you kill in this game. That's uh yep basically it, and uh, you know it's it's weird. Like, why would Saren be with with the Geth? Like, oh, this is so strange. And eventually, we start finding out this like, oh, um. Saren and his ship started doing something weird to people who are on there with prisoners that eventually started like uh, uh, believing what he wanted and what he wanted to do and so on. So it's it's getting quite strange. It's like, oh, what what is this power? And um, we start finding out and uh, it gets a very interesting name of indoctrination. And we find out uh, somewhat concerningly that it's not Saren's doing, it's the ship's doing. Sovereign. Because what is Sovereign? 
Sovereign is part of a supposed legend, uh, a myth, so they said, uh, of the Reapers, a species of machine intelligence uh, created by the Protheans that uh, wipes no, them out. They're not. They're not created by the Protheans. Oh no, of course, but they do they believe that it was created by the Protheans. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I believe they wiped out the Protheans, or that's like the myth they thought to uncover on based on archaeological uh, evidence. Yes. So they just know that that's the scary boogeyman that wiped out the Protheans, like, like millennia, like, like I don't know how much, like thirty-five thousand years ago or something. Something like know. that. Yeah. However, um, as Leon said, the Protheans didn't make the Reapers. The Protheans didn't make the Mass Effect relays, which are the beacon things, the slingshots. The Protheans didn't make the Citadel. As we, we get the chance to talk to Sovereign, the Reaper, and uh, it tells us that's like, no, the Protheans didn't do this. We did this. We built all this so you would develop according to how we wanted you to. We have done this before, and we will. the Protheans were not the first, and they were not the last. So uh, we find out that the Reapers have been doing this for unspecified amount of time. Where about every 30, 40, sometimes 50,000 years, uh, they, they harvest and kill the large majority of uh, advanced uh, organic life in the Milky Way, then run off like into the dark dinosaurs. space. Sorry? Sorry? Like dinosaurs. Hmm, th- there's a question to be asked whether the <laughs> whether the Reapers would kill dinosaurs, but... Maybe the dinosaurs were an advanced species, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they, they were. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they That's were. That's a joke, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Reapers, huh? Yeah, and uh, they're real, and they're, they're, they're a massive threat, and they're coming. And, uh, oh, that, that, that uh, fortress, that space station, which is the seat of our council... Turns out that due to the Reapers being very good at design, uh, every major species or every major galactic society, government, power, whatever, made the Citadel their whole seat, main seat of power. And uh, yeah. it's actually got a secret back door which allows for the Reaper invasion. So uh, that's what Saren's trying to do. Yeah, they. so the Mass Effect relays and the Citadel are placed there so that the intellectual intergalactic society evolves around the lines that they want them to, which, you know, if, uh, which makes them more vulnerable, I suppose, because they control, uh, literally control movement by, you know, yeah, uh, by understanding the mass effect relays and so forth and so on. And they can easily take out your, the intergalactic, uh, supranational organ. In one fell Supragalactic? I don't know. Sorry. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, generally, what ends up becoming this focus of galactic power, force, military, can be wiped out in a blink. So um, uh, it's uh, strategically sound from the Reapers, unfortunately. But it turns out that the, the Protheans, the previous one uh, in the cycle, because we find out that it's a massive cycle that's been going on for who knows how long, um, the Protheans actually managed to like stop the or create a blockade for to activate the citadel as a mass relay for the reapers but uh and sovereign is and saren are trying to undo that and you get there in the nick of time and you stop them 
and Sovereign is destroyed. That's Mass Effect 1. And uh, threats over. Humanity are heroes. Shepard's a hero. Humanity gets a seat on the council. If you're a paragon. If you're a renegade, you can just leave the rest of the council to die. Because uh, why not? It changes nothing, uh, which is one of the flaws of the thing. Yeah. It's like the renegade. Humanity still gets a seat on the council. Yeah, no, the, the renegade actions consequences for the franchise um aren't the main focus of the story design uh nope. the paragon ones are and there's yep. that's where the inconsistencies come from and we won't go oh, into yeah. all of them because there are many too many too many but uh yes. go, go watch the videos i mentioned the, uh, on the mass effect with no friends they go into it with good detail definitely so this is mass effect one but and like okay you deal this, the invasion's not happening yet. But the Reapers are still out there. They're still afraid. We need to deal with them. Uh, nobody cares. Uh, that's what you learn in Mass Effect 2 at the start of the game. Uh, nobody cares. Nobody listened. Um, you're ignored. A choice you made at the end of the first game doesn't really matter. Makes no actual difference. Um, Sovereign is a guest ship, according to them. Yeah. They uh, basically, it's like, but I said this. I gave you. You have the fucking corpse. Like you know it. It's like, we, nah. We don't. Not gonna touch this. That's just just denial. Denialism. Uh, and then you die. <laughs> That's what happens at the start of Mass Effect Two. Shepard is killed by the Not Geth, the Collectors, um, which are another proxy species being enslaved by the Reapers. Uh, because amongst other things, we find out in this game that the Geth we were fighting in the first one were kind of converted, corrupted Geth, uh, which makes it okay for you to have killed so many of them and allows us to talk about the Geth properly separate in this game and in the next one. There are certain ins and outs because, you know, you're kind of... You're, you're, you're killed and you're revived by a weird um, humanity Human supremacist group. organization called Cerberus. Um, yes. Led by none other than uh, Martin Sheen. Yeah. The elusive man. Oh. Uh, he's a dick, generally. He's basically a dick. Uh, but he's brought you back to life. And he's like, oh, I gave you a ship, I gave you a crew, and a part of your old crew, uh, and we'll get to the crew uh, after I get through the story. But. Yeah, it's a bit uncomfortable that A, you're brought back by a space racist. Yeah, and uh, a billionaire or a trillionaire, I suppose. And uh, on top of that, he, he's the only one that believes you. Yeah, that sucks. So you are essentially working for uh, ooh, a black rock meets black water. <laughs> yeah. So that's great. That's cool. Um, yeah. I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, but that's one of the many times Mass Effect enters uh, the moral swamp, if you will, the muddy waters of uh, storytelling. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, I mean, you the game gives you kind of the the free. Well, you're you're not installed a mind control chip, which is the only saving grace. Uh, but you're still effectively like, no, you should do this. You could do this for us, etc., etc. Uh, and uh, Though at the end of the game, you can like, you know, yeah, fuck you. Uh, got a good crew. We're pretty great. We're a badass. Uh, fuck you, elusive man. Bye. Uh, 
which yep. it, thanks for the ship yeah thanks for the ship thanks for the crew thanks for the money thanks for my my uh re- re- resurrection uh yeah fuck you buddy uh yeah so we have a uh we have a literal resurrection <laughs> we do it's gonna be interesting um do, do, should that has we... not happened yeah go on. should we note that we're recording this the day before easter yeah, uh, I thought as well. And we are recording this on a day of uh, Margaret Thatcher's death and <laughs> also International Romani Day. Oh, so uh, nice. that's why I spent some time on the Koreans being uh, <laughs> being an f- unfortunate typecasted as uh, what I think. Maybe people feel differently. I don't know. Um, there's a bunch of groups of people, uh, cultures in the world that are looked down upon and called thieves by a larger group and dominant culture. Yeah, in a bunch of regions in the world, so I don't want to automatically say Romani people, but the fact that they uh, are good at fixing stuff and wear headscarves um, is a bit unfortunate and are nomadic. Yeah, from, so that's, from that's a Western bit... kind of lens, which is where Bio yeah. is coming from. Um, yeah, <laughs> like the, the the question is like, what would be the most obvious stereotype that would fit here? And like, unfortunately, the correspondence is with Romani people. Yep, and th- th- we will talk about that in more detail in Dragon Age. Woo! Woo! Um, uh, we'll deal with it slightly better, but still. Uh, mm. Well, like I said, we will talk about that. We'll talk about it. That we shall the, see. Uh, Dragon Age episodes. So uh, that's Mass yeah. Effect Two. Uh, you beat the the not Geth, the collectors, which uh, quite uh, scarily, as you end up finding out, uh, they are uh, corrupted, enslaved, transformed. Protheans. So the previous species, yeah. uh, they're here. They they became tools for the collector for the reapers, and yeah, they became uh, drones, repurposed drones for yep. yeah. And um, yeah, that's pretty bad. And uh, then Mass Effect Three. Enough of fighting proxies. We fight the actual reapers, mostly. Not not quite. Not quite. Well, the reapers arrive in four force. So yeah, <laughs> uh... and uh, start sieging the galaxy really easily because they have. They're massive. They're more yeah. powerful. They're more advanced, technologically speaking, and they they do they don't really intend occupation very much. Mostly annihilation. It's that's why it's called the harvest. Um, yeah, they uh, can also generate uh, land troops quite easily through the process of biological corruption and indoctrination. Yeah, they don't seem to be that bothered by logistics. They, uh, yeah. Yeah, they are quite something. Uh, they seem to have instant communication with each other. They yeah. are, yeah, and endless, uh, endless uh, positives. They can be killed. They can uh, with a lot of missile fire or <laughs> with a lot of pressure. Uh, but generally, yeah, the galaxy does not have a. Uh, <laughs> there's essentially in a galaxy um, where battle or rear action uh retreat reaction going on um against these uh, against these reapers so yeah <laughs> and uh what happens in mass effect 3 then is you um <laughs> people believe you so that's something finally people <laughs> start giving you some fucking credit eh um, all it took was uh, a lot of capital worlds to destroy it and <laughs> reduce to ashes yeah uh, stretch, you say <laughs> great ones and, uh, you know, it turns out the space racist has gone fully mad. Uh, 
it's well, becoming indoctrinated. Basically. Um, and, you know... It's Seven, uh, part two. Yeah, and starts fighting, uh, starts fighting everyone as well because he's indoctrinated and basically working for the Reapers at this point. And you... <laughs> you basically need to become the greatest possible hero of the galaxy for the fourth time. For, well, for the third, fourth, and fifth time because uh, not only do you need to unite the galaxy again... You need to basically heal all wounds between the various species in the galaxy, or the la- the open wounds, shall we say? So um, the Krogans, that that uh, little genof- genocide genophage thing, you deal with it. You need to deal with it, or not, uh, if you're a bastard. Um, the Quarians and the Geth at, at each other's throats because uh, resentment, weird thing. Um, you can bre- you can mend that gap. You discovering ancient historical secrets that even date back to the creation of the Reapers in order to find more allies. You got it. And uh, eventually you you do all that and you take down the Reapers. Yay. Yeah, and depending on how many, uh, how optimally you played the game, you are alive or dead at the end. So Yeah, though generally the choices lead you to die. Two out of the three. Yeah, if you do, yeah, you have to get maximum friendship score, I guess. You defeat the Reapers with the power of friendship, by the way. and You do. And high-yield ballistic, ballistic missiles. But, um, which is, you know, <laughs> defeats you with the power of friendship and this gun that I found. It's, yeah. um, it's a good time. This massive gun, which has been slowly being designed and built by the various... The various species that, as they were being annihilated by the Reapers over the course of many cycles. So the Protheans yes. did stuff, yeah, but we are just culminating all that the previous ones did. So um, I will just mention it briefly before we get into some of the other stuff. Eventually, yes, I like what they on. do with the precursor stuff. Because it seems like, oh, the Protheans, they did the stuff. And it's like, wait, oh, it's the Reapers? Oh, oh, this is this is bad. This is bad. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's a it's an interesting setting. It's not the the four uh, not forerunners. That's the Halo one. I'm so sorry. The <laughs> um no the 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 big pre civilization is not the main focus of the game. It's a component of the main story, and that's usually not the case because like in my experience at least the the ones who came before are like the big mystery very often or like are center to like the development of the story as it unfolds. Think of the uh, Expanse series and so forth and so on. It's, um, well, that's the thing in, uh, in sci-fi. So I like this fusion of the tropes, which is essentially what Mass Effect is, I would say, to, to, uh, if you're if you're quite finished with the recap and the setting and the synopsis and stuff, uh, I would like to get into that if that's okay with you. Yeah, of course. Okay, <laughs> spend a lot of time on setting the stage, but that's important. Well, yeah, it's. I think. Well, we we talked about a lot of the things in between. We talked about the major species. Yeah. We we talked. No about need to defend yourself. <laughs> I was just just saying. Um, <laughs> I would like to get into how. <laughs> how this game and these three games or this franchise or whatever approaches roleplay, if that's okay with you. Yes, of course. I think that this, this is a good bridge because, once again, you are 
already require, required by plot to be what you're going to end up being, how optimal, once again, you want to be that thing that you're meant to be is up to you. And like I said, uh, like you said, uh, that series of videos points out that if you literally deviate from that, you <laughs> break the game. So there's Quite. that. Very much so. Um, so we talked about a little thing in a previous episode, uh, two and three, called The Monomyth by uh, Joseph Campbell and uh, how we don't like that text. But that text was influential to Western storytelling, we argue. Mm -hmm. And as it, when it was introduced in 1949, I think, um, it's or 46. I, oh Christ, I got it wrong on one of the two episodes as well. It's 45. It's, um, so I know it's, it's not 45. It's fine. But it's either 46 or 49. But um, other than that, it was like back then, like uh, ground, ground mythical texts about storytelling and storycraft, if you will. But now it has been, especially within the video game ecosystem or sphere or whatever you want to call it, Within the storytelling tradition uh, within video games, it has become, well, I suppose, what all things become under capitalism, uh, commodified. And it just Yay. becomes, it simply became good marketing. And what I mean with that is that it's a, it has become, due to its uh, influence on Western literature, it has become a template. I guess is the way yeah. is the best word for it. Exactly. And we are already familiar with the fact that we are going to be great. We're going to be the bestest boy. We're going to <laughs> we we are going to play a game. Especially Bioware is once again such a disciple of the hero's journey. I would argue. Oh yeah. We once again we we already I said all, all that I want to say on it in those two episodes, but um they continue that tradition very diligently within the Mass Effect series. Mm -hmm. They try and play around with it a little bit more in the Dragon Age series, but once again, we will save that for, for those episodes. Yes. But still, the it shines through quite obviously, I think, even in the Dragon Age series. <laughs> yeah. But uh, they don't try to hide it at all in the, in the Mass Effect one. No. So, <laughs> you're a shepherd, you're great, hoo-ha. Um, you can do this. and Because uh, you are... Uh, uh, yeah. Because what, what is the greatest quality of the hero in the hero's journey? It's always willpower, isn't it? Like it's always, uh, <laughs> because that's that's what everyone has, or at the very least, what everyone can have, um, if you just try hard enough. It's not. It's maybe you have magical powers, maybe you're special, but you have to will to use them, which is then a great stand-in metaphor for what you need to do to achieve what you want to achieve in life, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Um, this, this is what this is where the inspiration inspirational part comes from, and this is why we like it so much. Uh, not we, Frank and I, but we as Western <laughs> society. And yeah, and, and so once again, this game is a faithful uh, addition or continuation of the, of the trends. And yeah, so maybe we should <laughs> talk about the origin choices for Shepard uh, and how the game approaches role-playing un under the banner of Hero's Journey. <laughs> let's, let's conceptualize it as thus. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to get into that and I want to get into how for me how how this hero's journey experience felt to me because okay. i mean i knew it was shepherd and i knew shepherd was coming and it, it was going to be shepherd but uh it feel it felt very particular different to master republic and it'll be different than dragon age because you don't play the same character for the three games oh yeah that's a very noticeable difference i should have mentioned <laughs> no it's fine but but i think it's more than that like you you made a compelling argument before with with 
Twilight's Third Republic, where you are, spoiler, um, massive spoiler, you, you are the, the big, the greatest Jedi of all time, or the greatest Force user of all time, Revan. Um, but it doesn't, you've not done all that. You're told that, and your character is capable of that, and but mechanically that doesn't correspond. Yeah, you're assigned great, terrible purpose. Yes, exactly. By the force. Uh, in Mass Effect, you you can start in three different ways. You can be have been great war hero, great hero. You're already a hero. Uh, you can be the neutral one, which is like there was an attack in a colony, and you were the sole survivor of your team. Um, and you have that kind of trauma. It's trauma, but the game doesn't handle it like that very much um, because uh, it's not doing that. Um, or you have, if I'm not mistaken, the name is Ruthless, where you like killed an entire enemy force, whatever, uh, by yourself because you, you, you were the baddest, you were dangerous, um, and you were ruthless. So these are your standing points. Paragon, neutral, renegade. Yeah, only neutral is useless. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, worth saying real quick, uh, Shepard, yes, that, that he's indeed named after Alan Shepard, the uh, astronaut. Hmm. Um, just, just so you know, the guy who played golf on the moon, I believe. Oh, right. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> other than that, he... Um, and also has like a, a origin story, uh, not just an origin story as in his career, but his origin story as how he was born, oh, which yeah, I believe right. was like colonists, which is a very traumatic one where your family gets slaughtered. Yeah. Uh, but Shepard is still fine, and that rarely comes up ever in any conversation whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Um, Earthborn, which he then falls into a life of crime and enlists into the military when he's 18 years old, which Ugh. once again puts the army on the pedestal. Because he's, the army saved him from poverty. Um, and the army was a way to realize the man he was meant to be. Uh, that's that's how I choose to see it. You might have a different feeling. Uh, I think it is not necessarily intended to be as insidious as all that. As it but sounds. once again, that doesn't make it any less insidious. Uh, <laughs> once again, intentional and unintentional. Like Intention doesn't supersede effect. Yeah, that's, that's a general rule on this podcast, and that's uh, yeah. Death of the authors uh, and in, all that. Yeah, uh, intention is worth talking about, I think, but not mm-hmm. in a way that ends up superseding the effect of it. Um, I'm not a consequentialist, but I do firmly believe in that. <laughs> Other than that, the uh, uh, Earther colon- and then space, uh, space. His his family is like in uh, space fairer people. Yeah, which is quite neutral. I believe, I'm not quite sure. Once again, they don't really come up in conversation. Only your career options come up in conversation. Yes, I exactly. That's that's why I mentioned those. Uh, but if I'm He's not Canadian. Mis- Gross. <laughs> but if I'm so not mistaken, you. in the in like the final one, in the third game, like if you picked like the spacer one where it's like you have a family that's alive, they reach out to you. But that's it. Oh. I always pick Earthborn. I don't know why. I I went for the uh, the colonist, so everyone I knew oh. him was dead. <laughs> Which uh, Shepard still comes out pretty stable, and uh, he's he's such a dry palate. I'm so sorry. I'm, it's he's yeah yeah okay. I yeah, mean, I I, if you want me to be cruel, I will be. Shepard is inevitable. Uh, yeah, 
yeah, so these choices that are usually quite important for role-playing, I would argue, for character creation, that is. Mm-hmm. And they are reduced quite a bit. They don't, once again, they're flavor. They're flavors. They're not choices. They are flavors. Yes. Of, uh, yeah, of dialogue. You, If you're a war hero, I believe, you get, like, uh, from your fellow army buddies, you're like, oh, you were at the, you were at the Skillian Blitz, which is, like, uh, three out of ten fake name. Uh, don't call things Blitz. Yes, come on. Yeah, it's not good. Um, yeah. But, yeah, then you're like, oh, it's Skillian Blitz, or uh, I believe it's Skillian Blitz. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I and don't know. And then there's the Soul Survivor one, which if you pick the colonist and the Soul Survivor one, you should be fucking unhinged because <laughs> you have lost uh, your whole team, your family and your second family. So it's yeah. like, yeah. That was my Soul shepherd. Survivor. <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, I don't think your shepherd behaves very differently from my shepherd. So that's that's too bad. That's the problem. Um, yeah. So once again, they are very they are flavor, and then they are very minimal flavor, which I, because once again, everything is superseded by the very boring binary paragon versus renegade system, which becomes a point of contention throughout most of the things you're going to say. Yeah. So sorry, everyone. But yeah, so that that's that's um, it calls itself a role playing game, the first one, and it has some role playing mechanics, uh, item inventory management, and skill trees. The skill trees in two and three then are intensely narrowed down, yes. and focused on combat exclusively. Yeah, um, because because yeah. the the other mechanics in one, which are entirely removed from the following games, which are like you know weird puzzle things. You need to have certain character in your party that is like good in hacking to do this thing, and eh, it's. There's a big change from one to two, and I am all for it because I feel like it uh, cut out a lot of the excessive stuff, which Mass Effect one tries or intends to be this kind of RPG feel, but it's it's still generally just a shooter, and two it's like yeah corridor shooter that's what it is. Yeah, it's um, so like I said, the Mass Effect is uh, Mass Effect in general and Dragon Age as well are such an interesting content, uh, like compression of sci-fi and fantasy, respectively, um, yes. tropes and construction pieces. And within that, we see uh, the idea that they originally wanted to market themselves as a RPG, mainly because, well, what like we talked in episode two and three, we talked about the companions and... Uh, the dialogue systems yes. for those companions. And Mass Effect also did something very interesting. Namely, they, um, even in the first game, they didn't have dialogue lines anymore that you could click. Because it's a voice protagonist as well. Yeah. Which is also a big shift and was new at the time. I believe the game, out, game came out in 2007 or 2008. I think it's 7. Okay. Um, 2007 and... Uh, this is then five years, four years after Coda 1, which is quite fast for that time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so <laughs> there was this clear continuation of the like spa- sci-fi RPG. When, when <laughs> they realized that due to their Paragon Renegade system, the game doesn't work as an RPG at all. Nope. <laughs> and then they go for action-adventure with RPG elements. 
<laughs> which is a trend that became very popular uh, in the later 2000s and the early in the early 10s. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh yeah. <laughs> Don't know necessarily where I'm going with this. I'm so sorry, but I thought that was a very interesting evolution of uh things. No, it is. Not, um yeah. I think because effectively and and this this is effect what what ends up being about effectively what Mass Effect 3 is, and, and we'll get into that point, but I think it ties up nicely. What ends up being the great focus, what ends up drawing people in and makes Mass Effect 2 and 3 very interesting or very fun games, it, it isn't RPG elements or isn't even the cover shooting, shooting aspect. It is the companion systems. Yes, and it's... Well, I think the companion system is now... Within this franchise, Bioware hit their stride fully, I would say. Yes. Namely that it the companion system is a large part of it. Uh, the largest part, I would argue, even. Oh, yeah, I but agree. even this, it is part of another, an, a higher organ or categorization, if you will. And that's mainly the <laughs> the experience, capital E, um, <laughs> channeling my inner uh, boardroom meeting present, uh, presentator uh, <laughs> uh, energy here. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's well, I guess it's the vibes, if you will, of <laughs> being on, uh, playing into the sci-fi understanding of things, Western sci-fi at least, and trying to pick the desirable um, elements of other sci-fi franchises. For instance, you have a cool ship with cool aliens, which it's, it's clearly subtracted from, um, well, maybe multiple franchises, but clearly Star Trek as its main donor. But it also has you being the special boy, which is <laughs> Star Wars. And you have a ship that looks really cool, which is Star Wars, maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you don't have the Force, but you have Biotics, which is like an energy, kinetic energy, kinetic psychological energy sort of kind of thing, which is uh, not the Force, but it's close-ish. Um, it will do. And... <laughs> Yeah, uh, you have interesting tech and like different civilization behind different tech, which is kind of more Star Trek and Star, Star Wars both. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, th- anyway, there's a bunch of things going on here. But like I said, it's a very interesting condensation of all the previous big su- uh, sci-fi franchises. And uh, maybe some Babylon 5 in there, I don't know, I'm not quite sure. But other than that, yeah, so it tries to give you the capital E experience with all that. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And how, uh, the, but people don't call it that. People call it good story, usually. And I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> because I have seen people refer to Skyrim as a game that has good story. I, uh, and I would argue it doesn't. But what, the, what does Skyrim do is it gives you, <laughs> it tells you you're the bestest boy. You can do everything in that. Uh, you're, you're, you have the special soul. You can, you can you can shout at dragons or whatever. I don't know. And you can essentially essentially do everything. You want to be archmage with only three spells in your in your conscious? Okay, go ahead. Um, so that's like I don't know. I'm mocking Skyrim a little bit. Um, it's very popular, so I'm allowed to. I'm punching up. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, it's one of those games that people sometimes say, "Oh, good stories," or uh, "I love good." Uh, it's like I just want good stories in my video games, and then they mentioned. Skyrim is like no, it's good vibes. It's it's being patted on the head and say you're a special little boy, and uh, yeah, it's essentially the plot of Blade Runner two thousand forty nine all over again. But uh, <laughs> other than that, it's yeah, only only with 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 not as good of an ending. 
but it's it's yeah so it's it is a good story in a way in uh, for mass effect i would say mass effect is one of those games that gets immediately uh mentioned if people talk about good story in video games mm-hmm. and i would say <laughs> mass effect is of course a little bit more deserving of that than skyrim mainly because it's a linear story it's a thought it story. Helps. yeah um, like i said it's a very clear trilogy even though the confrontation at the end of two i think doesn't make any sense but that's fine it's still epic <laughs> and that's the main setting point of bioware it's yeah. epic it's it's literally uh it, it says as much on the cover of the dragon age origins uh cover jacket it's like the great epic adventure blah blah and that's also the design philosophy of both mass effect and dragon age from what i've read uh of the people who have worked on it on its, in its of its conception mm-hmm. and uh, they've been very uh, open and they're like yeah EA told us to create uh, a sprawling epic of sci-fi and fantasy and, uh, and, and thus Mass Effect and Dragon Age was born and they it's, did it's this grandiose skill yeah I suppose and uh, there's a grandiose skill of you being the bestest boy interwoven with captivating hyper emotional storylines uh, which are manifested as companions so that's what I think is the core and the solidification that was uh, or what was uh, solidified by the creation of Mass Effect for Bioware, that is. No, I agree. I think... So, stopping my monologue here, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's a very good monologue and I think that it's really important. It's, it's your podcast, Terry. If you don't monologue here, where else are you going to do that? Um, <laughs> so... But I think I think that's that becomes telling, especially when because like the first one, oh, you run into some people, you get some companions. It it happens a bit haphazardly, but okay. And then oh, you do the thing, and the game's over, right? The second one, you're expressly building a team for a very dangerous mission, and you need to make sure people are ready, are up to par, and you need to do all this very you know preparedly and carefully, and. So that's a thing. And in, in and I think it becomes even, inverted commas, worse, but at least clearer in the third one where um, what is most significant, what is more well-established, and what is structurally from like mechanics, dialogue, quests, and all that, what is more there in the third game is about the conclusions or the continuations or where the, the series leaves off with all those characters that you met in one, in two, and in one, two, and three. So uh, that is what is most interesting. That's what the third game is doing a lot because that those are the things that can, can change, that can be interesting, that you can have any say in it, so to speak. Because, yeah, the third game is about final fighting and stopping the Reapers, but that is, uh, that is inevitable. Regardless of what you do or who you're with, you'll stop the Reapers. Some in some way, uh, but and it can be terrible, sure, but that'll happen. But what the game spends the most time with, what it works with, is is these companions, is these people there, and I think it um, it becomes distinct with one of the particular DLCs, which is like the Citadel DLC, which allows you to have like shore leave and have a party with every single past and present companion. Um, that that is alive. Um, <laughs> spoilers, and it, it it is is it fan service? Of course it is, but 
the game or the series has been building these connections or these vibes that you do with your crew, with your friends, with, with your romantic interest, and for you all to have a kick-ass party before you head off into a suicide, even more suicide mission than the previous game. So uh, that that is what feels very distinct about uh, about Mass Effect 3 and about the series is that in the final game, yes, there's the big threat, but what seems to be the largest focus of this experience is the continuing and the finishing up of those vibes of these people you've <laughs> met, worked with, fought with, and died with. Yes, I think that is like the interesting, not point of contention, but like the two elements that rotate around each other mm-hmm. in uh, in in, the, in this franchise, and or in this trilogy, I should say. <laughs> uh, yeah, mm. Mm. interesting. Never mind. <laughs> uh, maybe if there's time left, I'll talk about this. But I think then it's very interesting that based on what it how it structures itself. Whether or not, I, I'm not going to talk about uh, authorial intent. <laughs> um, that's that's just, you know, I, all that I knew I've already shared that, you know, that EA wanted their uh, franchises. And um, that's, that's as, much, as much as I know. From what I understand is that <laughs> working for EA is not a great time. So there's a lot of crunch and so forth and so on. Oh, yeah. But uh, that, that's where that stops for me. Um, what I can do is look at how the, um, the story is presented and the choices that they make in their available content that you have um, at your disposal. So what I would argue, and feel free to tell me if you disagree, um, I would argue that it then what it believes in and what it's putting forth is that it's not to define the destination, but the cliche of uh, not the end point, but how you get there. Like, uh, <laughs> the friends you made along the way. It's literally that. That, that and, is Mass Effect in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. And, but... That that is that is at slight odds of the hero's journey. So the hero's journey in modern bio or contemporary Bioware, which once again I think Mass Effect One is the first step in contemporary Bioware, in this process of Bioware I should say maybe maybe it's better. I don't mm. know. But uh, in the Bioware uh, saga, this is then slightly at odds with the hero's journey, because the hero's journey is very much about the destination, isn't it? Yeah. And yes, what happens along the, and how you get there matters. But it's very much about the fulfilling, the becoming of what you are meant to be, the hero. Uh, the hero, capital H, uh, capital T, capital H. And uh, yeah, and this is then, <laughs> it is then the meat and bones of the game. This social simulator, if you will, which is not necessarily the word I want to use, but <laughs> sure. It's, that's then the meat and bones because also, this is the only moment where you are vulnerable. Yes. You can make the wrong dialogue choices. You can, this is, this is the real game. Um, <laughs> this is, and yeah, well, yeah, hmm. yeah, maybe that's true. So it believes in the fact that the journey matters as much as the destination, or even matters more so. Yeah. Um, once again, I don't know if that's necessarily the authorial intent. Uh, video games are also notorious for having a lot of people work on them, so the notion of what was intended is not always that relevant. But I, my analysis of this friend of this strategy. Uh, I think it believes in that, or at least it's projecting that idea into my brain, which uh, let's just make it anecdotal, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, um, that that is then slightly at odds of the hero's journey, but then the hero's journey is then, like I said, it's used as a template. It is used as a vehicle to complete plot. 
it is not mm. it doesn't really go beyond that i think even though you are uh, once again you get a lot of compliments and you are great and all that and that is part of the hero's journey that is still only a a subset of the larger looming shadow of companions i would argue yeah because like sure you you end up mending every single large open wound in the galaxy but uh i i actually care about my friend who's hurt and uh what's going to happen to well, them who's part of the conflict as well yeah like your friend rex is part of the genophage conflict your friend talia and uh, legion yes is part of the uh korean geth conflict that has a great time to pop off by the way the end of the fucking world assholes anyway um <laughs> Inconsiderate. Koreans more so. Yeah. Koreans more so, I think. Oh, uh, always. There. Also, uh, yeah, they are Romani, but they also claim rights to a homeland they don't necessarily have rights to anymore or whatever. I don't yeah. know. That's, a, that's another notion. I don't really want to get into it. There was already not enough that we wanted to talk about. We don't need that's to. That's a bit unfortunate. Yeah. Um, so the problem then is that it is just be good to your friends seems to be the only message then. It doesn't go into any particular set of virtues or morals that go into being a paragon. It doesn't go in the kind of sins or, uh, I don't know, uh, undesirable behavior that goes into renegade, other than being rude and slightly violent, even though the body count between paragon and renegade shepherd is negligible. So Is it? Yeah. Is it negligible? Um, I mean, here's the... I mean... Uh, well, on, okay. Based on genophage, maybe. Um, I mean, what? Well, well, it, he does sacrifice. Yeah, okay. No, it, you're right. It is negligible. My bad. Yeah, it's uh, it's. Uh, I mean, we we were talking about this before we started recording. Of like, because that's how I feel like when I play some of these games. It's like they feel they should be very distinct experiences, whether you play as Paragon or Renegade. But it's really difficult to do that because you'd have to have two different games. Um, I yeah. have a story I like to tell. I don't think I've told this on the pod yet about i felt felt cheated about a system like this of like good bad morality i it was the video game infamous um have i told i told you this oh. i haven't told you on the pod have i i don't think you've told me this in general but i'm very really infamous oh i like this so, story so in infamous there's i think one... i know where you're going as well yeah go on uh the well you can be good you can be bad it's it a lot of consequences a lot of choices slight spoiler or massive spoiler, it's very old games on the PS3, so it's it's fine. Uh, anyway, so in uh, you have the big bad or your enemy, whatever, and I'm not gonna get into that. But it's like the latter part of the game, he's like captured your girlfriend, and he's given you a choice. There are two buildings. Yeah. In one is your girlfriend, uh, about to drop from the top of the building. In another, there are lots of doctors. Uh, or you and you can choose to save the doctors or your girlfriend. Um, so here's girlfriend the girlfriend who's also a doctor. Sorry. Well, well. Um, here's the thing. I, I, I I'm not sure if I wasn't paying attention or something. I got confused which building was which. I was doing a proper good boy uh, playthrough, and it was like, well, let's. Uh, I don't know which building is which. Uh, well, this one. It was the girlfriend, and uh, it it wasn't the girlfriend. It was like uh, someone with her clothes, because she, since she's a doctor, she was with the other doctors, 
And so she falls and dies, and you don't even save your girlfriend. You're just a, and no doctors. You were just a dick. And it's like yeah, it's a trolley oh. problem. Yeah, and, and it's like okay, fair call, good, good trick. Um, and then I was thinking, okay, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna save the doctors, and then I'm gonna save the girl, my girlfriend. Right? Wrong. If you save the doctors, your girlfriend was actually in the other building. Um, so she dies. No matter what, you cannot save her. The game wills it so. Um, yeah. And why do I say it's cheating? She dies, but she's disappointed. <laughs> That's like the difference. Yeah. Uh, so why do I say this is massive cheating? Um, the main cat, the, the the bad guy, doesn't know what you're going to choose. Uh, however, there's well, regardless, corresponding to your behavior so far in the game, um. It would make sense. It's like, oh, if you're a good boy, been generally a good boy, you're going to save the doctors. You're going to leave your girlfriend to die. So if you want your enemy to suffer, you put your girlfriend there because he's quite likely going to save the doctors. So um, maybe I'm, I'm convincing myself otherwise. But anyway, um, the thing is, in one of the scenarios, you should be able to save your girlfriend because if you're being evil and caring about yourself yes it makes sense that he would not put your girlfriend there because he knew you would you would be selfish and whatnot but if you were being good and you end up saving your, your girlfriend there randomly you know decide to know i'm gonna save my girlfriend he wouldn't know that that like oh no but the best way to suffer is to have your girlfriend in the other one you were fully tricked Ooh, he can't have both ways as a bad guy he needs to choose but via the game, the game doesn't have him choose. You're just fucked, whatever you do. And I think like that's one of the key examples. That, like, no matter what, your girlfriend dies, you're fucked like that, because he's apparently omniscient. And even before you do it, and... Mm. Mm. It's interesting that then that... Yeah, uh, well, hmm. this real quick, uh, that is a part of... Uh... The woman dies trope, as I like to call it. I believe there's a word for it called fridging. I don't I'm not know. Not sure. Um, it's like when the girlfriend of the of a protagonist dies to give the guy plot, uh, or like character development. Um, I th- I think I think, uh, well, I would add that like to this point, it's terrible that she dies anyway. But I think we're so advanced in the game that's like you've had pretty much all of your development at this point. It's just like tying... Well, then it's still traumatism or shock failure. Oh, Once exactly. Again, it is, it's killing women and... Uh, men, uh, uh, it's killing women and especially like women that are close to you for sensationalism. Yes. Or, like some kind of rudimentary development. And I will say, <laughs> Mass Effect at least doesn't do that. At um, least. Mass Effect has a different problem. And that's yeah. the next thing I would like to get into, if that's okay with you. Oh, of course. I, it's, it's, uh, j- yeah. Just before you get into that, just try and make have my point be reasonable. Um, I am bothered by that because it cheats. Because no matter what you do, that's what you get. And in a sense, though somewhat more satisfyingly, um, even if you're terrible, even if you don't really bring much of the galaxy together and you fuck it all up, you still beat the Reapers. You you could Bioware could not do this, and I understand. But uh, what they really what really should have been the point is like if you're a renegade, if you're an asshole, if you don't do things in the in an actual decent way that's like actually trying to work against this threat, galactic threat. 
you lose. Yeah. You fail, everyone dies. That's what should happen. Uh, but you you can't you couldn't do that. Um, but no, yeah, no, that's that's what should have happened. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I wanted to get into. Like, it's it seems then to be uh, addicted to the vibes, if you will. Yeah. And what I mean with that is that it's um, well, like you said, it's uh, like I was saying before, and that something that you have now reinforced, I think, is mainly that it sees the hero's journey once again as a destination. It is the track on yeah. which the real game, the, the companion uh, interactions, uh, develops. And it's just like the real roading, and like, yeah. which fits perfectly within the gameplay because the game is essentially a set of hallways. Yes. Very pretty hallways. I don't mind necessarily, uh, it, but it's quite linear. And both in every aspect of the game, it's quite linear, I would say. And But to go back a bit to its... Um, to to its uh, facilitation of vibes mm-hmm. and experience, capital E, and the epicness and whatnot, you cannot fail because that would contrast its main selling points to you. Yeah. And that is kind of the thing that I think why we should never... And I, I, I do this, by the way. I don't feel that strongly about it, but following this reason and this discussion that we're having right now, um, this is why I would argue that we should not call Mass Effect RPG. Because it isn't. It isn't. And <laughs> it's it's a dialogue cover shooter, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But but it's and it's not an RPG for two reasons. The one that we already are constructing towards, um, the uh, how do we say this? Like, the the choice is essentially only flavor it to an extent. Yeah. And don't they're not choices. They are just tailoring, and that's fine. Um, but the game did and this is why there was a lot of backlash at the end of Mass Effect 3 it did claim to be uh, great that your choices mattered so fucking much and it's so uh, it's going to be such a unique experience for you and everybody generally had the same kind of experience yeah <laughs> and and you could have a very unique experience mainly if you like didn't play the game optimally if you lost some of the companions at the end of Mass Effect 2 or uh, lost some of the companions in the end of Max Effect 1. Um, this then would have given you a unique experience. Now, they say unique experience. I would say non-identical experience. Uniqueness implies and summons the idea of worthwhile uh, alternative exploration. Because it's a unique experience. It's worth <laughs> having. That's what, when you say unique, it implies sort of kind of that it's worth having. It's yeah. not. No, you just get a worse companion instead, and that they, they fulfill the role of your uh, of your uh, previous choices. Yeah, but like they fulfill the role as a substitute consequence. They're literal um, placeholders. And, and what? Yeah, precisely. So, what is the consequence of your choices? And this is why nobody plays Renegade. It, it is that the game becomes less interesting if you like let people die. Yeah, it then sacrifices any chance of being an RPG for its main selling point once again the vibes the experience the epicness yeah and yeah I think that's too bad and I think that's a problem within Bioware games and a bunch of other games as well that have maybe taken note on Bioware or something uh, want to achieve something similar namely that there is an optimal way to play through a game which never fits well with an RPG I think the first game that comes to mind is Outer Worlds the uh, Fallout inspired western 
uh, Frontier Simulator mm -hmm. from Obsidian. Yes. That was marketed as a continuation of New Vegas, even though the people that worked on New Vegas don't work at Obsidian anymore. Yeah. It's not as good. And that has, with every conflict there, you could, like, gain optimal way of, like, moving towards that. And I thought, that's such a betrayal of every choice. Because then it's not a choice. Then it's just, I don't know, like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, you could you could play unifier between the company and like the real people and every uh, uh, and every talking about cheating <laughs> at every <laughs> point in time you could like get the uh, the optimal choice by profiting off of both sides ah. and I couldn't find the choice and a, and a friend of mine was playing the game alongside me like googled it and they she found like the optimal choices and just did the optimal choices and got the optimal ending and I thought that's shit. That's that's so shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, so, th but that's once again. I think Mass Effect does it less egregiously, but it's uh, <laughs> then the same friend went through Dragon Age, and once again, I don't I don't blame her for anything. But um, she wanted to know constantly, like, what happens if I do this? What happens if I do that? Because she was so afraid of not getting the optimal choice. So she was not playing the game. I was just telling her which choices to make. And that worked for her, and I'm really happy for her. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I'm not judging. But for me, I feel that's such a betrayal of the RPG, uh, of what I would argue is a crucial value of the com of the RPG genre. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's something that Mass Effect is either a main proponent of, or at the very least also guilty of. And yeah, that's too bad. Um, that's not... I don't know. I feel choices should matter, and the story of Shepard would be so much more dramatic if you had to like, uh, like you know, if if some of the things just don't work out, if not every, if you're not the bestest boy all the fucking time, because if you if you are, it just feels bland after a while. Yeah. But they make it spicy again because once again your friends are in this conflict, so, yeah, I don't know, and you get told that you're a good boy, which <laughs> a lot of people want to hear. Especially within sci-fi and fantasy, I would say, yeah, it's wish fulfillment. No, oh, absolutely. But I think I think so, that's the the key point of it, right? Like that's these these other characters, your your crewmates, your friends, your romantic interests. Th they become sort of the motivating force for carrying on with this game. It's because like you want to do these things for them, and it's like, oh, but we need to save the galaxy or need to save Earth. Like, sure, but yeah. That, that that's not as strong a motivating factor in the way that the game works or is balanced around as your companions. They become more interesting yeah. and, and the stories that are actually worth playing. And indeed, if you don't do the, the Paragon route pretty much for all the games, um, you re really do get a, a suboptimal experience because it's not... It's tough, it, it gets inconsistent and, you know... It's not as if like, oh, this tragically happened and now you meet this vastly different character that leads to vastly different outcomes or or something like that. It's like, no, it's the same thing. Literally the same thing. So it's like, hmm, uh, I guess. Ooh. Yeah, and they also then, within their companion system, once again, the main meat of the game, they also then have an optimal route for the companions, which in my humble opinion, and this is very subjective, I understand, if anything, I'm exploring my own subjectivity here <laughs> first, and then and then analyzing the game. Of course. But um, the, the companions don't really become companions then. 
they become like content story boxes, which of course every game is up to a point. But once again, if I want to contrast it real quick to Fallout New Vegas, your companions feel a lot more visceral and much more real, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily real, but there's real emotion, like once again, visceral, uh, real emotionality to them more so than, uh, hmm. well, I guess what I would have liked in Mass Effect is then that the order, for example, in which you talk to certain companions matters, for instance. Like, they start noticing, oh, hey, why do you always come to me last? Am I last least important to you? And, like, you know, just respond. Like, <laughs> like um, if someone is, like, angry and is, like, ran- is, like walking, uh, like, back and forth thing across the deck or something, and you don't talk to them right away, then that option just kind of disappears. Mm-hmm. But that gives a lot of people anxiety. <laughs> so uh, it's not there. And because it it would threaten the idea of an optimal playthrough that everybody... And I think a lot of buyer players, me sometimes included in that in that uh, in that group, are afraid of. Because I'm I'm afraid of missing things out. But I'm also willing to be like, okay, well if it's good, it's good, and then I'll play it again, and I won't miss out, and I will use my knowledge that I gained on the first playthrough in the second playthrough. So, for me, if you make it such an obvious, uh, if the optimal route is so fucking obvious then to me, you don't have a lot of faith in your game that people want to replay it. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Well, then you I need, think it's so, yeah. Well, then well. you have the much harder thing about making the game not just fun, but replayable, which is the point of an RPG, yeah. that you play it again, yes. assuming different roles. And that can be from a mechanics point of view, when you think about a game like uh, Elden Ring, or from a story development character work point of view, like fucking Disco Elysium. So you can have it in a variety of different ways, but you got to commit. Yeah, and they do commit to, once again, if you buy a Bioware game, for instance, if you play in Bioware, quote-unquote, RPG, quote, um, (laughs) you are buying into the main selling point, mainly that you can be the bestest boy. Exactly. Um, The bestest weird little guy. (laughs) But uh, you can be everything. But uh, (laughs) yeah, no, that's what what you're selling into. The, the, The center of the epic. That's, that's essentially it. And sometimes that works. Well, at least Dragon Age gives you some choices. It's like, well, you can't save both of them. It's like, it's these, this group or this one. Yeah, I was purposely holding off on that. So <laughs> I won't get to talk about Dragon Age as well. We will talk about Dragon Age. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I'm, I'm just set, I'm setting up those bridges for which to cross them. <laughs> Very <time>. smart. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, there's a couple of things I could talk about, but I don't know if there's anything big that you want to uh, definitely want to get into. Mm, episode. Maybe something. Yeah, no, there's there's one thing I want to talk about. I think. Okay. Um, Go on. Okay, so what I want to talk about is that like it is that ending, that ending to the trilogy, because it had issues. It had a lot of different iterations, but I'm gonna talk about how I played it now and. Uh, my main problem with that ending is because it is a, b- a bit of a, what all we're saying. I think it, it kind of ties into that. It's like, uh, oh, you're the bestest boy. You you can do this. You can do anything. And then at the end of the game, it's like, well, no, you can do one of these choices, which we, the big bads, uh, let you. Or you can refuse and die anyway. And yeah, uh, it, it, 
frankly, whatever you find to be the best option for the 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 end of the game, like the best choice, uh, that doesn't matter as much. Well, well, that that matters, but to me, not to my point. I'm more annoyed. That's like, okay, we've been doing everything. We're trying to create this like new kind of galaxy and trying to work together to do this. And at the end of the day, uh, you can choose something which not even you decide that uh, it's something that's like, oh, we the Reapers, uh, we can do one of these things, uh, decide now. And it's like, wait, why are you being the ones? Can't I? I think, (laughs) I think it fails at the hero's journey at the very end. Because you felt like you had the reins, like you were conducting the story, that like you were doing this, you were becoming the great big hero, and then at the end it's like, whoops, guess not. Um, you choose a color, basically, and that I, I feel like even I feel like the game failed to commit. Even that's like, yeah, no, you're doing this and you're taking control, and this is what you're doing, and. The ending doesn't have that much catharsis, even. So, because um, you, I, I don't get a sense of choice. It's like you're, you, you've given certain things. It's like, yeah, you got here. Well, what do you want us to do? Yeah, what color, what flavoring, what sailoring do you want to proceed with? Yeah, and I, yeah, I don't. I don't like it at all. I, I think, like, regardless of any of the options, and I have my favorite, but I don't think not any of them work because of how they are established as something which your enemy, which it's still not clear why they were doing everything they were doing, uh, creating some sort of galactic piece of annihilation again and again to do something. Um, it doesn't make sense <laughs> it does the, the game ends up being really hung on the idea of conflicts between organics and artificial life forms and that's a ve- that's a bad sci-fi trope frankly uh, to get really hung up on so it's like uh, I, I get it why are why all this but i still think it's shit and and then it ends and then it's like yeah it's like you don't I don't know. It doesn't land. I, I feel like that's the thing. Like, for you to be a hero, you'd have to do the thing, and you maybe do it, but it's it's not on your terms. I think that's the big thing. Like for all this, like yeah, no, uh, it it betrays itself. Uh, if it was betraying itself as an RPG the whole time, at the end it does that even further. Where it's like, yeah, the, these are your choices, and sure, it's a video game. You don't you only have a limited amount of choices, but it feels really bad that's like this is what it comes down to we're gonna let you choose one of them because they could just not frankly they could just not but they don't and you chose and uh, that's it i will say it in my opinion it does adhere to the hero's journey simply because shepherd gets to decide the continuation of the galaxy mm-hmm. and its main direction sure he he, he literally becomes like you know <laughs> the all uh well, in many ways, he becomes the hand of God in, in in a way that he gets to like decide human consciousness, uh, if you want to, yeah. uh, or like decide human, or, like well, not just human, like g- galactic consciousness uh, going forward, or uh, like some other stuff, or he can take possession of reapers himself uh, or themselves, 
And yeah, I don't know. Um, you can also shoot the ghost child. Uh, that sounds really weird without co context. Uh, I, I'm, I don't have any explanation to offer you. Oh, the game does not um, give any context. They're just the, there. You can shoot the ghost child, and then the reapers just kill everyone. Um, so there is a choice, and you can choose to not do anything. Or, uh, like, you know, uh, not activate it, because he doesn't want to choose for other people. That's like the justification he gives. Or uh, Shepard gives, sorry. I, I, I play as he. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> Not, not for any particular reason. I no, I did one as as, uh, as Jane, uh, because I wanted romance thing. But that's it. Um, <laughs> the other romance companions didn't seem that interesting. The uh, women seemed uh, a bit more intriguing. Um, or the companions, uh, the companion set was a bit more interesting. For a rom romance options for a guy shepherd were a bit more interesting. In my true, opinion. true. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, it it can. Uh, you, the plan can fail tremendously by Shepard not choosing or Shepard choosing the ghost child. It is just, you can do that as full Paragon or full Renegade. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. <laughs> the final Renegade or Paragon choice is if you can, uh, if you can, like, make the loser man shoot himself or not. Yeah. Uh, which is exactly the same as Saren, again. <laughs> but never mind. Uh, well, it, it's in, in the first game, it's more interesting because. Uh... If you yeah. don't do one of those options, like you get two boss fights, and if you do, you only get one—the more interesting one. Definitely. So that felt rewarding, actually. There are a couple of minor things that we can go over if you like, but that's that's mostly it for me. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, like, it, it's interesting how we we talk we spoke about the companion system in general and not any specific ones because, generally speaking, for the large majority of characters. You know what? Their development, their stories are cool. They're interesting to follow and to go along with and to try and help. And and that's where the, the big meat and I think the big draw of the game comes from, especially 2 and 3. And the, I don't know. If we spoke more directly about them, we either criticize a few and praise or com compliment the rest. So um, I think speaking about it in general worked more. <laughs> I'm saying this uh, not as self-justification, but, I don't know, explanation of why we're doing this. Well, let's, uh, because a lot of people are, uh, uh, this is the questions that I often get if I talk about Bioware games with people. Mm -hmm. So let's uh, just to end on a more uh, joyful note, I guess, or more humorous one, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, what, uh, what are your romance options? Let's uh, let's go through the, uh, the real game. Oh, of course. Uh, well, I, I played Woman Shepherd. I played Jane. And so uh, I had Carthonassi again um, in the figure of Caden Alenko, uh, although he's better Caden than Carth and uh, Liara. And I went for, for Liara, the, the Asari, because um, she's an alien. Cool alien. What can I say? Yeah. Um, uh, she also has the more interesting backstory. I think out of the three romance options in Mass Effect One. Who? Sorry. Uh, Liara has the most interesting um, backstory and character development. Yeah, in, true. Uh, out of the three romance options, Ashley Kane, or uh, Ashley uh, Caden, and um, not Car for Nassie, <laughs> and uh, and and uh, Liara. Like, yeah. From those three, I like Caden uh, though. Like I think Caden's good. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, Liara is more interesting, <laughs> and she's not human. Yeah, sci-fi video game. Let's let's play it up. Um, yes. For the second one, I went for Thane. Of course. 
who is magnificent. And for the third one, because, you know, I want to be faithful, want to be nice, I went for uh, Liara again. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good one for uh, <laughs> Woman Shepherd. What about you? I've, all, I've done multiple placements. Well, sure, but... Uh, first, I got Mass Effect 1 when it came out. Um, <laughs> I literally thought, hey, the guys who made Code 1 made another game. It's also sci-fi. That's right. literally what I saw. When, uh, not when it came out, but like close enough, like a year mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, once again, 2007, 2008. Also was mainly a console gamer and at the PlayStation. And it didn't... Mass Effect 1 was never released on PlayStation. Oh. Well, it is, but yeah, it wasn't back then. Um... I think Liara is the optimal uh, romance choice <laughs> uh, in the first one. Um, very ashamed to say that my very first playthrough all uh, years ago, it was Ashley. It wasn't, once again, it was a really young guy. Oh. <laughs> Not necessarily picking up on uh, the, the racist hints and stuff. Um, although English, not my native language, so... Uh, you have that going. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I did that necessarily, but yeah. <laughs> then second one... I uh, I still like Jack the most, even though Jack is quite edgy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I love the uh, wounded, uh, emotionally intense person <laughs> that just wants a hug. Uh, yeah, it's it's it's, Jack. It's, it's, it's it's yeah. Well, it's you know, it's it's a bit uh, how do you say this cliche, but and <laughs> once again, um, there are some criticism about her character about like. Like she's how she might be portrayed as a woman that is very irrational, doesn't know how to deal with their emotions. Mm. I would say that everyone who went what Jack went through, which is very vehemently established, yeah, um, nobody would be in control of their emotions. Mm-mm. But I understand that it is a bit unfortunate at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of very unfortunate things about a lot of people who are romanceable. So you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> at least she ends at a very nice, uh, you know, stage. And then I then usually toss it up between Jack and Liara in the third game. Fair enough. Uh, I, on my, uh, I did the same romance path um, on my Mass Effect, uh, as, as Jane Shepard, mm. the one time I did a Jane Shepard playthrough. Yeah. Uh, th- I love Thane. I love Thane so much. A lot of people like Garrus more, and I'm like, he's too much of a cop for me, but I he like is. Garrus. He's, I like Garrus more as a buddy Yeah. Uh, as well. Exactly. A lot of people just really like the voice actor, but then again, I think Thane has an amazing voice actor as well. Yeah. Um, his little little poetic lines, I love him so much. Um, but then I kind of have to choose Liara in because Thane. Uh, well, anyway, that's uh, very unfortunate. But um, yeah, it's uh, I love Thane as well because he has such an open disposition to his dying. Yeah. Because he's sick, and I I find that so 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 very interesting. Mm-hmm. Fun notes, uh, there was this idea to make everyone bisexual or like a lot more gay romances at least, mm-hmm. or like, you know, same-sex romances or bisexual romances. Uh, that was taken out, uh, even though it's funny because Dragon Age, once again, <laughs> is the first uh, game with a homosexual sex scene, I believe, or at least a high-profile game that did that. Probably. Um, then, <laughs> okay, so I have to be serious after all. We do have to talk. Uh, I'm mainly going to talk about this in the, in the Dragon Age episodes because we're going to do one for each game. Yeah. And I'll have more time to talk about other stuff as well. But there is a problem with Bioware saying, oh, yeah, we have interesting women characters, but every woman character has huge tits. Um, I'm sorry to be gross about this, but um, it's, a, it's a bit glaring. 
and mm-hmm. uh, a bit uncomfortable, I think. Yep. Um, yeah, even like Liara's mother as well. <laughs> That's like <laughs> like cleavage as well. I'm like, come on, <laughs> Christ! Um, your uh, the uh, your literal mother, your very own mother, uh, in Dragon Age Two has a very old face, but they only have like the generic woman body model, which has like once again huge tits. So <laughs> it's so it's it's so bad, and this is a bit of a uh, hypocrisy, I think. That like Bioware can get away with that and is seen as respectable to women, <laughs> um, when they still very vehemently play on like what I would like to say, uh, well, poor women uh, design, um, poor design of women's bodies mm-hmm. in appeasement or in um, in like uh, catering to uh, guys, heterosexual men mostly. Yeah. So yeah, that's a bit unfortunate and i think that's a bit of a, a hypocrisy that not a lot of people talk about i think that's very concerning and yeah i yeah yeah especially because just the lack of flack that they seem to get for it is a bit yeah mm-hmm. too bad i think at least they do create some interesting backstories for those women even though they put their bodies on <laughs> on display in such a uh, yeah uh, I would say uncouth way, but yeah. Once again, uh, for me as a guy, not necessarily to for me to judge about, or as not as someone who isn't, isn't a woman. But I, it's something that stood out to me, and something I feel like I need to say. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, something can be crossed over. Uh, uh, mm, anyone else? I uh, favorite companion. I um, I really like Tali. Oh yeah, good choice. Uh, for me, toss up between Legion or oh yeah, Legion. Well, Le- Legion shows up only for a little bit as a companion, so that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Legion or Grunt? I think Mass Effect Two has the best companions by Lance. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Also the most. <laughs> they've, yeah. they've like yeah, like too many. Like I would say two or three too many. Oh yeah, most. there's some which are like eh. well, there's some in free which I was like I never use. I never used your aims. Why would I? Yeah, uh, I like Morden. Morden is a pretty good. Yep, Morden uh, is the indication. one we l- hate to love, but we love him. <laughs> yeah, he. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose he sells that genophage narrative, like you know, like it does give a vehement, uh, uh, very robust denunciation of that action. Yeah, even though it's not as robust as I would like, but you know, I'm quite. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, I'm very. I would be very much okay with them yelling it into the camera that that's not okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Krogans should have gotten a seat on the council after the Ragnar War. Yeah, they should have. If they can be uplifted into, like, you know, or at least have some kind of position, and it would have also been a great way to uh, keep an eye on them and control them, and like, you know, keep keep your friends so close of them, and your enemies even closer. Yeah. Well, yeah, they seem to have, all council space seems to have because it's called council space. Yeah. So they seem to have a open intel slash military network. Like that's not a hero there. Yes, anything you would like to mention or talk about? Because mm. once again, this is one of those games I can talk about for way too long. So I'm gonna, gonna contain myself here. No, I, I, I think I think we're we're in a good point to end on. Like that was it's really great. I, I think we we approached pretty much what was. I don't know, it was was more distinctive about the franchise and 
I like what what we spoke about in terms of uh, you know the technological points and the Reapers a bit, and I'm glad I I was able to voice my my frustrations with the Mass Effect ending, um, less with the choices themselves and more with the the conditions for those choices, so to speak. I feel like the ending would have had to have some it 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 should have been fucking entirely different. Like even if the same three choices were the same, I hate the fucking setup. I hate it vehemently. Um. But really fun trilogy, and I had a great time. One is fucking rough mechanically. Hold X or A to run is shit. It's terrible. There's a reason we don't do that anymore. And it's so bad in one, and it's not better in two. Three, they, they, they nail it p- properly. But um, yeah, it's they're still worth playing, especially with the Legendary Edition where everything connects really properly especially with the save file transfer from one to two to three so i recommend it i had a lot of time a lot of fun had a great time and you know first time playing them so so that's been great definitely the the main criticism for me is not so much the ending but rather that this whole idea of that's it's such vibrant and alive galaxy i am like ah it's a very broad galaxy but it's not deep no it is like once again we we don't know how the planetary unification goes of certain uh of certain species, which is such a big thing in sci-fi, right? Yep. Or like how do uh certain how do um below equator Turians feel above uh, feel about above equator Turians? And that would have been such an interesting thing to do. But instead we just got a really weird election systems for the Asari or something. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. Uh there's a lot of lore, but it's very broad. And it's not, it doesn't go very deep at times. Yeah. And, and I guess... And it's all in data entries in your codex. Yeah. And so the way lore goes deep is by that Shepard makes it by making those actions, those galaxy-wide impact-having actions. Mm-hmm. But it leaves a lot to be desired for sociological and political scientific standpoints. Exactly. And yeah. Anyway, that's... that's uh, Yeah. That's your end on the complaint because you did as well. Hey. <laughs> so, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Was this the first April episode? Yes. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Um, I will... I'm in the works on planning the second April episode. No promises, but I think it will be about a thing that we talked about on the IGN episode. Yeah. We hinted at very thoroughly. Uh, <laughs> Very looking directly into the camera while winking type hinting at. <laughs> so hopefully see you then. And uh, we will probably see us first on the left page. Yeah. Please left... go check out that episode if you want. Yeah, the left page is going gonna, gonna to be interesting. We're going to dive into a very famous author, but not his most famous work. Yeah. Uh, Lord, it isn't. Okay. <laughs> uh, but more sci-fi. If you want to some more sci-fi discussions, let's, uh, stay tuned. And as always, feel free to support us on Patreon. It would help a lot. Yeah, for <laughs> if, sure. Uh, if you want more in-depth and more thorough analysis of your favorite games, it would be helpful if we got more of community on Patreon. Mm-hmm. And remember, you don't hate Patreon plugs, you hate capitalism. <laughs> and thank you so much for listening, everyone, and we'll see you soon. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.